everybody, welcome to another comic episode of Games My Mom Found. I am Mike Coverton, and who's on a poster of the cover of the comic with me tonight? My name is Jake. I forgot what my X-Men name was last time we did an X-Men episode, Terrell. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm hyped to be here. This is uh, one of my favorite stories from my all-time favorite comic property ever. This is probably one of the more famous comic book stories in general. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Days of Future Past, not only it was the first like major time travel comic book story, I'm going to say, I mean, other than maybe like the the Flash story where he goes to Earth 2 and finds, finds Jay Garrick. But like, this is the first X-Men time travel story, period. Like, that's how big this is. Like, that's been a trope since this issue came out. It's crazy. It's and so we're going to be talking about the Uncanny X-Men issues 141 and 142 and other stuff. A Days of Future Past, which everyone probably knows that famous cover, which is the art for this episode, <laughs> where Wolverine and Kitty Pryde are on the cover, and you have a poster behind them with all these, with the mutants, and they're all like slain, apprehended, slain, apprehended, and it just really shows you like what you're getting yourself into. It's really vivid, and, and the crazy thing about this story in general is that it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, this is... It, it just jumps into it like you're just in this alternate future. And so you really see this cover that's uh, done by John Byrne. That's so iconic. This thing has been referenced in 20, 30 different you know, X-Men and other properties across time. Like it's iconic for a reason. And this came out in 1981. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, a, I mean, it's a cover that everybody spoofs. I mean, even if you didn't know what the X-Men cover was, you probably seen a spoof of it somewhere on on the Internet of something yeah. of something else. hundred percent. Like you, you have <laughs> definitely seen this somewhere, an iteration of this. I, I adore it. It's it's just done so well. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so many goodies to find in because, again, this is two issues, but it's so dense, like most Chris Claremont issues at the time that even just this cover, like. I buy that this world exists because of, of just this background of saying, you know, Nightcrawler slain storm apprehended. And like, I want to know that story. I want to know how all these, you know, how all my favorite characters were slain or, or taken into custody and all that stuff. It just, I immediately bought into this world. I do have a question that you can probably answer for me. So when I, as I've been reading more X-Men comics in the later in the last few years, why the? Because I know Kitty Pride is Shadowcat, and I read X Men God Love Man Kills, and she goes by Ariel. Why the hell is she called Sprite in this comic? So, gang, let's talk about Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride at this iterate. Okay, so let, let's let's do the timeline of where we are in X Men lore when this story comes out. We are, I'm gonna say, about six issues. Yeah, no, this is five issues after the conclusion of the Dark Phoenix saga. Only five. So we're five months removed from that. Kitty Pride has just joined the X-Men. She has declared uh, that Professor Xavier is a jerk. And she is 13 when, when she joins this team and in this story. And so this 13-year-old girl, you know, as with most children, are like, they, they changed their names. They changed their costumes. And it's a running joke for, for Kitty Pride for the first, like, I don't know, five years that she goes by all these different names. So, I mean, right here, she is Sprite. Like you said, she has so many different names. Uh, she gets the name Shadowcat. There's a Wolverine and Kitty Pride miniseries where they go to Japan together. And something you may not know about Kitty Pride is that she's a legit trained ninja. And again, I understand how I sound when I talk about this. Okay, <laughs> okay good, because 
Because like she she's a legit hand to hand combat knows how to wield the katana. She's like re- like a little bit weeby. She like has real strong opinions about the Persona games. Like she is a ninja. Uh, and then she takes on at the end the nickname Shadow Cat, and that has been that has been her nickname really to now. And so that that is why she is sprite in this story. But this is very fresh faced Kitty Pride. I mean, and and you see that in this story when she is afraid of Nightcrawler at first. A lot of new X-Men are afraid of Nightcrawler at first, but then by the end, uh, or, you know, they love him because Nightcrawler's the best. He's one of my favorite. Oh, yeah, her first appearance was only X-Men 129, so not that, not that long before this. Yeah, because she joins, like, right through the Dark Phoenix saga. She's, she doesn't really know Jean all that well. She really develops a strong friendship with Storm, and that relationship, especially through the, through the Chris Claremont run, is so good. But yeah, then there's also the weird love relationship between Kitty Pride and, and Colossus, which I have never liked. Because I don't like he's it either. Because like, again, when they're like flirting and stuff, he's like 19, 20. She's 13, bro. She's too young yeah. for you. I mean, that's... But this is 81. It's the 80s, so I can... No. I'm not defending no. it. I'm just saying like it wasn't seen as way we would see it now because they were stupid <laughs> mike we're gonna have to redact this entire section it's still gross it's still no gross. i don't like it like it's but like i under like it's that stupid like there was a stupid idea at then that finally we're gotten rid of it now where people don't see it yeah. you know people see it now what it is like when you have some older it can be either female or male but you have someone that's drastically older and they're especially with someone younger in the formative years like you're you're grooming them you're grooming them for things that like it's manipulative and it's i don't yeah <laughs> Yeah, and like it doesn't exactly go anywhere in the comics. I mean, shortly after the first, the very first Secret Wars comics uh, came out, Colossus falls in love with an alien woman and breaks up with Shadowcat, and it's a whole thing. And then you know, so it doesn't. It's not like it it goes into an in depth relationship, but it's still a little. Uh, it still just doesn't feel quite right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it just because it, when Secret Wars takes place, it's not that much longer. She can't be that much older than than what she is now. I mean, I would say now, I mean, it, comics timeline wise is is totally messed up. And Secret Wars, the first Secret Wars came out in the 80s as like an editorial mandate to sell toys. That's where the black Spider-Man suit comes from, the symbiote. I, I have. But that yeah, she, she would be like 13 <laughs> or 14 then. Now I would say Kitty Pride is probably like late 20s, maybe early 30s. Okay. I don't know. Comics as a timeline. Don't think about it too hard because it'll no, never make sense. But I mean that issue. I was talking about like Secret Wars, like when they were dating, like if they were what that was. Yeah, probably like she was probably 13, still 14 uh, and he's still 19. Yeah, it's still not good. It's still not a good, agreeable number that I'm going to I'm going to come to terms with. It was the 80s, I guess, is the way to put it. Yeah, but I mean, in the 80s, we still got this phenomenal story that really just set the stage for what X-Men is going to be for the next 50 years, 40 years. Your dog doesn't agree. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's funny. Uh, but like, even the, the way that like, the first page of Days of Future Past, like the way they do it, like the, the title Days of Future Past is, is on signs in the background of where Kitty is walking through New York. And the first line of the book is, this is New York, the Big Apple. Once upon a, po- once upon a time, it was a nice place to live. It is no longer. And it just shows you the ruin of the city. And the last line on the first page, welcome to the 21st century. Yeah, this this dark apocalyptic future is the dark time of 2013. <laughs> they were they were off by about seven years. I, yeah, like it's just so fascinating. 
and I'm and I'm like interested because they even like put a time in it. Like it now, a lot of the time travel stuff they take them hundred years in the future, two hundred years in the future. Like I guess in the eighties, that was still you know forty years away or something. But now that we're years, here, forty two years. Yeah, it's it's not that far away. No, but we also see time differently now. I think where in the eighties, seeing forty years in the future, like wow, we're gonna be like you always remember the whole thing. Oh, we're gonna have flying cars someday. Yeah, like, you know, our technology is not going to jump to that level as quick as I think we thought it would in the eighties. Yeah, I Maybe mean, and then, you still like, think like you know, oh, you you still think that you know, two thousand and ten was like yesterday, but really it was eleven years ago, and you're just like, oh, I'm so old. <laughs> Yeah, time. <laughs> you can also tell like this comic is in the eighties. There's just a, there's a bunch of stuff that just wouldn't be in a few, in a comic that was made later or any or any kind of fiction later, unless you're trying to be like one thing I, I do want to mention that beyond that besides that, but like you see it in her first panel, you see Kitty Pride. She has an M on her shirt or on her jumpsuit she's wearing, and they don't explain why it's there. I mean, not till later, but I I I didn't even catch that that you can see the M clearly in the first panel you see her. That's a good point. I don't think I've ever like seen that before. I always associate the M marking with Bishop, who has that M tattoo over his eye. But that's a good point. Why does he have that tattoo? Is that just because he was a mutant and in that time they branded him? Yeah. So it's like it, it gets mentioned in other stories where he basically is a raised in like a slave pen almost. Okay. Mutants are, are kind of abused. Uh, you can read about that in Messiah Complex, a story from 2010. Which I highly yep. recommend, but yeah, that that story in Bishop in general is kind of uh, kind of retconned into this Days of Future Past storyline. They're they're very very similar. Okay, and just like when you see her walking, like the first part is her walking through the ruins of New York, and she runs into a gang that they're called themselves the Rogues, and I thought that was entertaining because when I think of Rogue, I think of you know the character Rogue, not a group, yeah. a gang of people. I thought that too because it's the a, first it, character it's bold uh, in the the speech bubble. Yeah, and the and the first character you see is kind of a racist, like you wouldn't implication. That's what I was talking about, where you wouldn't see that in today's age, where the guy has like um, feathers on his hat and stuff, and a mohawk, and they're like you can kind of tell they're going for like the, you know, like an Indian vibe or something, just to be kind of felt racist. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I didn't yeah, pick is. up that vibe specifically, but now that I'm looking at it, yeah, you're not you're not wrong. I didn't but when I, I read it yesterday, yesterday, but now that I'm reading it, and I'm just like, yeah, that's kind of like that's unnecessary. Yeah, like the a lot of the '80s comics have are are really bad, like really <laughs> bad about depictions of Native Americans, like because it's all very stereotyping, and you can tell that they didn't really talk to anyone who's like. Well, the character I immediately think of um, is uh, Danny Moonstar from the New Mutants, and yeah. it's like she's Cheyenne. And do you think that th- any of these creators talked to someone from the Cheyenne tribe? No, no. no. I mean, no. she just like. Her her costume has the feather and the war paint, and it's just like, oh, this doesn't this doesn't feel good in twenty twenty one. Yeah, because we're more we're more intelligent and more aware. Yeah, but I, I love I, I love this now. intro scene. It, it 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 just really jumps you into this story, like Kate Pride, and and that's something we need to talk about too. Is like it's not Kitty Pride. She doesn't go by Kitty Pride. She is Kate, and that is a really interesting distinction. Is that you know. Kate Pride is like walking, trying to deliver something on a mission, and she gets caught in this trap by these racist, not not Native American thugs. And she like doesn't have her powers because she has that like ch- like the anti mutant collar, which you know who knows the science behind those things. But she still kicks ass. I love it. She's such a great character, even without her powers. And I will say, 
you know, me now, I don't think twice about Kitty Pride beating up a bunch of dudes because, like I said, she's a ninja. But this story was before that came out. So it's like not like not like they had planned all that out yet, I would assume. But it's such a good scene that she's like beating up all these guys. And then Wolverine, like old man Logan, just comes in. He's great. I really like this depiction, her this look of Wolverine. Where like he also won't pull out his claws, and I think I don't remember he says it here, but he says it at some point he can't pull out his claws, so that will alert the sentinels and mutant activity. So he's just beating the shit out of him normally, but he just wears a jacket. He's not, you know, he just I like the way he looks. It just looks like a normal guy with a, with a cool jacket, like he just got done playing Resident Evil Four, and yeah. now he got white hair. Yeah, he's like got a little bit of like a Leon vibe or a uh, yeah. like Indiana Jones vibe too, with the jacket with the with the puffy. Like sides, I on really it. like it. it. It's really good. And the whole point when he he was meeting her was to give her some part for a transmitter that they don't explain. And then he goes off in his way because I think they briefly mentioned Kate lives in a internment camp where Wolverine is one of the few mutants that isn't in the camps. He's just off running around in the wasteland. He's like one of the the rebels, yeah. And it, it's it's an interesting thing about her living in an internment camp because you know timeline wise, you know you got to think about uh, like. Kitty Pride is Jewish, and there's a lot oh. of good issues prior where she attends like a, a Holocaust like memorial thing, and she sees Magneto there, uh, and that's where she and Magneto kind of have a special bond as as they both. I mean, I, I don't think Kitty Pride exact. She didn't live through the Holocaust like Magneto did, but she She's still is very attached to that history. So it's like again something to think about is like the mutant internment camps and and her kind of going through that like her her predecessors did. It's, well, it's if you grew up. In the 80s, and let's say here you're 13 in 1980, I mean, you would have been born in the 70s. You're not that far removed from yeah. when World War II happened at that time, unlike us now, where you're looking at, you know, we're in 2021, you're looking, you're 80 years from it, you know, 70, 80 years. Like you're, you're much more, it's much more of a thing that didn't happen versus something where. Yeah, it makes it much more easy to deny that it happened. Hmm, but yeah, we found back that out. It's very real. And, and yeah, I. I the scene where she's on, she gets on a bus and you see the bus being pulled by horses. I love that. That is it's cool because so everything is so fucked up. They don't have technology like they, you know, they don't have gas. They don't have, so they have horses. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that is such a good touch is that it's just a bus. I mean, because that's kind of how it would work, you know, like I, I feel like this is something that would be very much in like a, like a last of us kind of world where it's like post-apocalyptic still. They have horses, but they don't really have gasoline. So, like, I would very much buy that the horse pulls the the bus. The bus would have been attacked in this whole panel. I saw happening, and you, you, (laughs) it was Last of Us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Last of Us is just brutal. So brutal. Yeah. So Kitty Pride is like going back into this mutant camp. She has to check in with the Sentinels, and so like the the story that you get painted uh, from this world is that you know the Sentinels were developed, and at first. They were just supposed to protect the humans from the mutants. And so it was just targeting the mutants first. But then they're like their logic understanding started to attack, you know, any superhero. And so there's a great panel at the bottom of one of the first pages where it has like the gravestones of everyone who's died so far. So iconic. Yeah, it's I mean. Kurt, Kurt Wagner, you know, Warren Worthington, Scott Summers, Charles, but then it's like Fantastic Four, Peter Parker, like they really have killed all of the main heroes in the Marvel Universe. It's crazy. And there's a scene right before that when she's on the bus. I want to read the panel. So it shows, yeah. the panel just shows her standing there. She's holding the bar. 
People are whispering, looking at her. You see one guy, clearly he has a jacket with an H on the back, another guy H on the front. And and here's the panel. It says, in North America, in the year 2013, there are three classes of people. H, for baseline human, clean, of mutant genes, allowed to breed. A, for anonymous human, a normal person possessing mutant genetic potential, forbidden to breed. And then M, for mutant, the bottom of the heat, made pariahs and outcasts by the Mutant Control Act of 1988, hunted down with a few rare exceptions, killed without mercy. In the quarter century since the axe passage, millions have died. Like it just shows you how. Oh, bad don't don't miss out that that last panel, my dude. Like the very la- next sentence after that one is they were the lucky ones. Yeah, <laughs> how crazy. I mean, and, and again, this is such a reference to World War II and reference to like just hate in general. And I feel like probably some people didn't catch they, when they read this, they didn't understand what they were looking at. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the whole mutant metaphor gets stretched out way too much for, to uh, to encompass a lot of different groups, but I mean this this reference is pretty clear. I mean it, it's pretty clear what all of this is in reference to. And then when she gets to the camp, you see when she runs into Colossus and Magneto's there, Storm is there, Franklin Richards, which I don't really know very well. I know it's um Franklin son. Franklin Richards is the son of Reed and Sue. Was he, he a god at this point? I mean, not really. Uh, okay. he, he does develop god powers, and I and I can't decide. He's a fucking have, god at the end of Secret they, War. If they've retconned him, because my, my understanding, and I haven't read this part in the modern run, I believe they have retconned it so that he is not a mutant, but he has like reality warping powers, and he has he from the beginning has basically warped reality to make himself a mutant even though he's not actually a mutant okay it's it's odd retcons are dumb comics are dumb guys but (laughs) yeah no franklin richards is probably the most powerful person in the marvel universe oh he is there's actually a theory where you know the the weird comic time like you know you know 40 years have passed for us but the comics still everyone kind of looks the same there's a theory out there that Franklin Richards has warped the Marvel universe to keep all of his friends young and like it, it, to basically keep the status quo throughout time. So he affects the time in the Marvel comics universe in difference to our own. It's, it's a weird one in the end of secret wars, 2018, he, he, he plays a big part of that and like warping the universe. Yeah, I definitely recommend reading that run. Like all the the Jonathan Hickman stuff is just quality, especially his Fantastic Four run. And this is also when you get introduced to Rachel Summers, which I didn't realize this is her first appearance. Yep, it's uh, I never knew that until about two minutes ago. So, <laughs> yeah, so like Rachel Summers is a an amazing character. She's one of my all time favorite characters. She she pops in uh, to the main Marvel universe to stay shortly after this. And so there's a real like she is a long running character. She has the Phoenix. She becomes the Phoenix for a long time. And she like doesn't burn out by it. Like she's such a good character. And she's married to Franklin Richards in this universe. Or I don't know about married, but they're they're together. Okay. And you know, I didn't catch that because it doesn't go so well for Franklin. And this is when you see Kate Pride and Colossus are together. I mean, it's less weird here because, again, they are of consenting age. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't mind them together here. I, and, and here's just something in general. You know, X-Men characters, all of them are, are pretty much in the LGBT camp. Like, oh, yeah, Kitty Pride is bisexual, and that is confirmed. 
I have never bought her with Colossus. Much, much later in the timeline, she dates Iceman. I didn't buy that. She, in my opinion, should have ended up with Rachel Summers or Ileana Rasputin, a.k.a. Magic. Those are my two relationships for her. So I just I don't buy this Colossus Kitty Pride thing. To me, it always stood out of like that. You're like childhood crush of like what could have been. But like writer, every like new writer who comes in to try and write Kitty Pride, they always drag the dead corpse of this relationship back out. And it's always a bummer. It just seems like such a waste of time. She dates star Lord at one point in the current comics, I th- or maybe not yeah. anymore in but. like 2013, 2014 when Brian Michael Bendis started writing. Okay. I mean, it's fine. I just, it's whatever I I'm, I'm, I'm iffy on star Lord in general, but it's, it's not my particular relationship for Kitty pride. No, and this is when you see that their whole plan for that transmitter that Wolverine gave them is they build this little device which helps them like use their power still for a, in a in a small radius. I think it is. Yeah, it'll it'll disable those anti mutant collars they're all okay. wearing so that they can use the the powers to go back in time. And it is cool that when you see Magneto, Magneto's in a wheelchair like Xavier. Yeah, it, it's it's a really cool like because you just see when when he first rolls into the scene. All you see is the back of the wheelchair. So your, your first thing, and you don't see the body in it. You're just thinking, oh, maybe this is Xavier, even though you just saw his gravestone. And it's then it Magneto. happens to be Magneto. It's really cool. And this is when Rachel Summers then, because their whole plan is to send Kitty Pride back in time to stop an assassination attempt or assassination of Xavier, Maura McTigert, and Senator Robert Kelly. And with, oh, God, what the hell is her name? Rachel Summers' power, she's able to send Kitty Pride back to herself back in 1980. Yeah. And they choose Kitty pride because again, she's uh, at the time that she goes back in time, uh, she's brand new. So she doesn't have any of the psychic defenses and Ooh. that's how she gets back into her old body. Cause like all the other X-Men are trained. Like you're not going to get Wolverine back into his body. You're not gonna be able to get storm or Warren Worthington, but Kitty's new. She's not really, she's not even had her first danger room test, which is the next few pages, which is so funny. So they send Kitty pride back in time. It makes so much sense. I do like those. I do like the danger room couple panels, and I just love seeing Angel, even though I like Archangel better. <laughs> but he's a character that's really grown on me over the years. Yeah, he's had a very, very awesome character arc over time. Because Angel itself is pretty boring, I would say. Because yeah. all he does is fly around. But Archangel is so fascinating. His stuff with Apocalypse is so good. There's so many good stories to be told there. Uh, I'm very happy where they took his character. And the whole like danger room thing where she's just she just screw it up and almost getting killed and not prepared for it. And then the next couple like the next page or two, it shows when she's trying danger room for herself and she's just passing every test just fine with her ability to phase through everything. Yeah. So like th- she walks into the danger room and, and the X-Men are all fighting these like huge machines and like it, it's very dangerous and all these things and everyone's worried about her. And then they prep her for her own test because you know a, a very classic x-men trope at this time was you know new x-men they got to cross the danger room like that's all you got to do you got to get from one end of the room to the other oh so that okay so this is a reference to a normal thing then that i would yeah known like uh, yeah it, it's it's been in other stories but this is iconic this is such an iconic moment because like xavier develops this whole program to stop kitty pride but of course <laughs> she phases and so nothing hits her like she just walks straight forward with her eyes closed and like from the side of the room, they shoot these like bags at her. They go right through her. They try and shoot these like mechanical ropes at her. Those go right through her. 
the like machines from the walls like try and squish her. But of course, she just walks right through it with her eyes closed. It's so funny. And like the best scene, the best scene is where it shoots to the all the X-Men in the control room just, just laughing. Cackling. <laughs> I do so like that. Good. Like these character moments, like more than just like heroes punching each other, like these little moments like this are what make the X-Men such a good, good book to read. It's just it's 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 a family. It's a found family story. I mean, that's why you have a whole X-Men comic and one of the annuals. It's just them playing baseball. Oh, yeah. That, that's the whole just them playing baseball. I have it. That's all I know. <laughs> that's, that's how you know that the Fox X-Men universe failed. Because we had like 11 movies and not one of them did they play baseball. That's some bull. <laughs> that's some malarkey right there. And it's after she finishes the danger room, right? When she's just about to leave, that's when the yep. when Kate Pride goes into Kitty Pride. And they she passes out. They go and grab her and put her in the room. Or in like the medic of the med bay. And the part when she first wakes up and she sees Nightcrawler and realizes that he's alive and it's not Kitty, it's Kate now. And I guess it didn't cl- it didn't click to me as she's scared of him, so it makes it even more like even more odd to them that she just grabs him and hugs him. Yeah, that's a, it's such a little moment. Like it it's something before she does her test, I I skipped over that is like Nightcrawler comes in to to say hi to Kitty because she's new and she is dead scared of him. Dead scared of him, just had wants nothing to do with him. And so they have a little conversation about that. And but then after Kate Bride takes over her body, first thing that she does, you know, after they take her to the infirmary and everything, first thing she does is she wakes up and gives him a huge hug because mm-hmm. she missed him because they're friends. I mean, he's been dead. Yeah, he's been dead. I mean, imagine you go back in time and see people that you have lost and be able to see them again. Like it, it, that's got to be such a especially when they're all lost, you know, dramatically, not by health issues, but by big giant robots killing them. Yeah, I mean, and, and something that I will say is like you get to see this relationship develop over the time in this X Men run, but like particularly between like in the eighties, there was a book called Excalibur, which is basically Doctor Who if it were the X Men. It's pretty <laughs> great, but it the team is like the Britain team, and it has Rachel Summers, it has Kitty Pride, and it has Nightcrawler, and that's they were a team for like a decade, and so like that relationship is so foundational. So even like just reading this this older run. You're like, oh, yeah, Kitty Pride was scared of him at first. But that it makes the the hug when Kate takes over her body so earned because, you know, looking back, like that is where their relationship leads is that they are best friends because they were teammates for a hundred years. And then she starts telling them the story about what happened in her timeline and why who she is and why she went back. And the, the when it starts showing about like what happened with the people in the mood of hysterical paranoia and how hate was used as a weapon to. To go after and make the mutant control act, and then you know blame all mutants for everything in 1984, and even have one, and they even say, "Oh, one of the candidates uh, has a science of America." It's 1984. Do you know what your children are? And yeah. In 2021, after what we've been through, it and you've seen, you know, you look at history itself, and you look at the history we've had recently. Like you can just see. I mean, all I can see are parallels to hate and things that we went through, and people cheering for something they don't really realize what they're cheering for, or they realize and don't care. It, it hits me a different yeah. way than it would have when I read this book. Because I first read this in 2014 when I first read it. And it, it hits a little differently in 2021 when I reread it. Yeah, it hits a little different when we went through a little bit of a, a, a fascism yeah. deal. But I will say that that 1984, do you know where your children are thing? The In the up, the lead up to this, that was an ad that was put out in comics and, and in comic book stores as just a poster with no explanation. <laughs> and so like... You would just see that and you're like, what is this? It's like, uh, United, do you know where your children are? Like the mutant thing? Like, 
but that was an ad they took out. I love that. That's such a cool like marketing thing, and it's so it's so iconic and so perfect for this story and for just X Men in general. I think. Yeah, you wouldn't see it now because people might take it literally. <laughs> yeah, the, like the market in general is a little bit different now. Like comics just aren't as popular as they were back when this was coming out. No, it was a different time, much different time. And there's a there's a couple of really good panels where it talks about how the Sentinels got reactivated because the Sentinels were around earlier in the X Men. And it has another panel where it shows where the Sentinel you talked about earlier, where the Sentinels decide to destroy all all super beings. And one of the beings that they have crossed out here, there's a couple that kind of go like, really? Like they kill Vision. Vision's a freaking android. And they kill Daredevil. There's no superpowers there. <laughs> they kill Iron Man. There's no superpowers there either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. I think it's just some of these are like they just took on the, the potential oh, threats right. to their power. But like, yeah, you're right. There's, they, no mu- there's no powers there. How the hell do they kill Hulk? That's one that really confuses me. I was like, how does that, how does that work? Because like we know now that Hulk is basically unkillable. And Doctor Doom, like, how would you kill Doctor? Like, Doctor Doom is too damn intelligent. I, I, I wouldn't. I can't see that happening. But yeah, it's just funny to me when I saw that. I'm just like, no, no, no. But I like how it, it talks about how they took over the entire North American continent. And if as the story progresses, you find out they only control North America. Like the rest of the world is is still free of the Sentinels. They just they just completely wiped out North America. And again, in a in a 2021 world, like I get it. I get why mm-hmm. North America would be the one that gets like bungled because of some dumb decision that gets made as opposed to the rest of the world. It also reminds me of Handmaid's Tale, too, where North America, like, you know, American United States is all screwed up where like Canada is its own thing and they're at war with each other. And it's kind of like a reference in here a little bit where Canada is still its own thing and not. That's what maybe, that's what Wolverine's doing is he mentions like the Canadian army or something like that. That's that's what he's been doing this whole time. I like that. And then and then it jumps back to the future and it shows them carrying Kate Pride's body because she, you know, she's not there anymore. She's in the past. So her lifeless body, just or her, you know, unconscious body just being carried by Colossus. And you see, this is when you and then they already start killing off. Like Franklin Richards just gets killed by a sentinel. Dude, they're, they're he hiding gets in this tunnel. He gets bopped. Oh, my gosh. Like he <laughs> he turns around is like, oh, my God, it's sentinels. And then he gets microwaved like just like he gets killed like a Mars attacks alien. Like he gets bopped. And I love seeing the sentinel so powerful. And you and you see them, you know, take it down. Like you see the fastball special where Colossus throws Wolverine and they take out a Sentinel or take out two. But then there's more like, you know, three more of that one came from. And you there's a part where Colossus like rips through a building and puts a building down on top of them. Yeah. Something that this story does well is make the Sentinels feel dangerous because the as you use like a threat in comics and you see your heroes beat them time and time again, you no longer find them threatening. And Star Wars is a good example of this is like no one watching most of the movies is going to be like stormtroopers are threatening because like they're they're basic. You know, you you kill a hundred thousand of them or whatever. But then like Solo will come out where the stormtroopers are much more like they appear more as a threat. And so that this story kind of does that same thing where it takes a, a something you're familiar with, like the Sentinels. But you're kind of legitimately scared of them, like because they are powerful. They're killing some of your favorite heroes. They are relentless. Like you said, like you kill one and three more take their place. It is it is legit scary. And that's what makes it so cool. And then it jumps from them and it goes back and it goes back to the past and it shows Mystique, you know, being disguised as somebody else walking around a military base. And you see the what is now the Brotherhood of Mutants and. Again, I haven't read other X-Men, so I don't get some of this reference. Like, they say, oh, Blob was in prison. See, last issue, he got out of prison. And 
Pyro's there, Avalanche, and there's one character I do not know other than reading these Destiny? two comics. Yeah, I have never heard of her until... I'm so happy I get to explain Destiny to you. So this is the greatest tragedy in Marvel Comics right here. Uh, Destiny is one of the best characters. Uh, Destiny and Mystique specifically. Canonically, they are married. They are in a relationship together, her and Mystique, uh, but Marvel editorial at the time, obviously, was, was not like pro-gay agenda. And so... Even up like they they were everyone knew everyone in the fandom has known for years that they are in a relationship together. And it's so sad that it's never acknowledged. So like when when I we even talk about the speech bubble here uh, for Destiny, a blind precog uh, precog with the psychic ability to see the future. The only member of the Brotherhood Raven calls an in bold friend. We all know what she is. But I will say that that has since been corrected in like the more modern run. They have finally, it's been confirmed that they are in a romantic relationship together. But I love Mystique and Destiny as a couple because like Mystique is such a villain and a bastard for 50 years of comics. But there is those few people that she legitimately loves. She loves Destiny. She loves her daughter Rogue. Which, spoiler, I guess, if you didn't know, Rogue was the daughter and was raised by Mystique and Destiny. Uh, but it, I knew she was raised by Mystique. I didn't know Destiny was involved. Yeah, it's, it's such a good storyline. Uh, and, it, and it's kind of coming to a head in the modern run because, uh, de- spoilers again, Destiny dies sometime in the mid-90s. And right now, the X-Men have a resurrection protocol where they bring back all the dead characters. But there's a rule. Uh, where they can't bring back any precogs. And so I, right now the story is hinting that Mystique is going to burn everything down because she wants her wife back. So I'm, I'm, I love Destiny. I think Destiny is a fascinating character. She's one that, kind of like Doug Ramsey, who is uh, Cypher, his mutant power is languages, which isn't, a, an exactly, <laughs> isn't exactly exciting mutant power, but there's so much you can do with language. Like you can read body language, which makes you good at fighting. It, it makes the writers do really cool things with Destiny because she's a precog. It's not just like, oh, you're going to get hit by a bus tomorrow, but she can actually <laughs> use it in interesting story ways. I love, I love Destiny. She's such a good character. I'm, I'm very happy that she's finally been confirmed to be in a relationship with, with Mystique a long time ago. So you mean she, she doesn't see a timer above people's heads and she goes and tries to grab it and then it goes away only because somebody saved her from getting hit by a, by a car and a music It doesn't video? work like that, but I will say that there is... Someone able- got that reference. So <laughs> in a Danny Moonstar, which you mentioned earlier, uh, she goes to Asgard with the New Mutants and she becomes a Valkyrie. And so okay. like the timer above the head thing, she can see when people are about to die because when they're about to die, a skull is hanging over their head and so she can save them or not. It's a... Interesting, uh, non sequitur in 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 this issue because she doesn't exist yet. Hmm. I just I just it's a character I haven't I haven't read a lot of X Men, but it's a character I've been familiar with. I knew Pyro, I knew Avalanche, I knew Blob. I like how they're fighting each other. Like they get into an argument pretty quickly, and that's then you like kind classic of classic evil villain stuff. Is they all hate each other, but they're yeah. just like only working together to get a job done. And then it shows you the court where you have Senator Robert Kelly being an asshole about the mutants, and you have more of a target there, Xavier there, and Warren Worthington shows up. And then at the, and then right when they're when they're all there, you have the place get attacked, and you see the Brotherhood of Mutants show up. And <laughs> I, I love when you see you see the Brotherhood, and then the X Men show up because of Kate Pride going back and telling them, "Hey, you need to stop this." So they show up, and I like how this is the first time that 
like they have seen this brotherhood and this brotherhood has seen the X-Men because Cyclops has left. And there's a comment where they're like, I know the X-Men, but I don't know who the hell you guys are from Blob because he's been in jail for a while. He doesn't know that all these Colossus, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawl, they're all, you know, they're all new X-Men from giant size. <laughs> so he only knows Angel. Yeah, it's a really cool like historical marker is like, I've I fought the X-Men and you're no X-Men. But what I love about this scene with um, so, something that you may not know and that a lot of the listeners may not know is like you just assume that the world has known that Xavier's a mutant. But until the 90s, he kept that quiet. No one knew he was a mutant. Oh, they don't know he's a mutant? Not at all. So when they bring him here to testify, he's just a expert on genetics. No oh. one knows he's a mutant. That is a secret until the 90s. OK, Think that about, I didn't like, know. It's so crazy. It's so because crazy. I, I always know him as a mutant, and you know why? No, my whole thing is the X Men cartoon. I mean, that was again like probably so many other people. My introduction to it, so that's where I know it from. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it makes so much sense that everyone should always know he's a mutant, and it and it becomes an interesting storyline down the line where people. So a general theme of the X Men, especially later on, is that Charles Xavier is a well-meaning, butt-faced miscreant. Like he is. Uh, a jerk, as Kitty Pride would say in a later issue of the X-Men, Xavier is a jerk. And so basically they confront him about that. It's like, Xavier, you're so pro mutant. You're so pro this cause, but you won't even admit to the world that you're one of us. What is that about? And it's so fascinating. I, I, I love that so much. But it's just, you know, it doesn't add a ton to this scene. But like that, that's why he's here. And, and it's interesting that like Robert Kelly is talking to him one on one not knowing that the guy that he's talking to is a mutant. That is cool. Okay, you just made that scene a lot. Yeah. Make a lot more sense now to someone who didn't know. <laughs> and again, no one should have to read as much X-Men as I have to understand some of these things, but it doesn't take away from anything. I mean, it's still cool to see them, uh, him and Moira McTaggart, like testifying in front of the, the Congress and then all hell breaks loose because the Brotherhood attacks. Oh, was Moira a mutant at this time? Can't. In, no, in, Moira okay. was not confirmed to be a mutant until like 2019, until this very okay current. I don't run. Want to, I know what you're talking about, but I don't want to go into it. Yeah, okay. it, it's it's complicated. It's a very good story. I highly recommend reading the modern run. It's excellent. Uh, but no, right right now she's just a human. Okay, that that's what I was curious about. All right, yeah, because I know she's I know her current canon. It's complicated oh, to sure. say the least. That it would we would need a four hour episode of this podcast to go into House of X and Powers of X. Yeah, yeah, that's not happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read those yet, but I, I I know about them. They are absolutely excellent. But yeah, this this whole the first issue, like, and and that's the thing, like we've gone through all this stuff with this issue. This is issue one of yeah, the two part. Like this is a dense story, and it ends with You're them right. like throwing down. The 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 old villains confronting this new team of X Men. Yeah, it's just so good. And then you, the the second issue, issue one forty two. That's another classic cover. Not yeah. as classic, but you have you have a Sentinel holding Storm in one hand with a spear through her body, which I didn't catch until now. Uh, the other with the other hand, he's blasting Wolverine. And then on the on and on the cover it says this issue, everybody dies. Yeah. And I, I love this cover because it's very simple. It's it, like color wise. It is very minimalist. Like it's it's not very flashy at the same time. It is flashy as hell because like he's annihilating Wolverine to bits. It's so good. And and this does something that a lot of comic book covers don't do nowadays where like the cover will be something that doesn't remotely have anything to do with what's inside the cover. But like 
this cover is basically a panel in this comic. It's so good. It's a good comic. It, it's definitely not as worth it or as popular as 141 or not worth value as, as 141, but yeah. it's still not a good issue. And it you know, it starts off kind of like the first page when you open the book, it says mine out of time. And it kind of gives you a quick recap and it shows on one side the 1980s and the other side 2013 where they're being hunted by yeah. the Sentinels. And the like the other when you get into like one of the first big like spreads is them. Oh, the it's a spread. I love it. The X-Men and the Brotherhood is all looking at each other, just fighting. And you Avalanche is a badass. I like Avalanche a lot. This costume is dumb, but yes. I love Avalanche. <laughs> he, he is a, a fun character. He's never really been in a lot, has he? Like anything outside no. of comics? I mean, he pops up in the 80s stuff. So here, here's something that you may not be aware. So in oh. the 80s. Man, I want 141 now. Yeah. Uh, in the 80s, a Mystique works for the federal government for a little while in a team called Freedom Force. Her, Pyro, Avalanche, and Destiny. I can't, I can't, Blob is probably in there as well. It, it's right. It's after this. Uh, they work for the federal government to try. It's basically like a suicide squad situation where they try and work off their sentences. And yeah. Avalanche, Avalanche pops up in there a little bit. But after that, I mean, Avalanche is not a very significant character. He pops up like later on here and there. But, I, you know, it, it's a very rare thing. Okay, but I love this spread. It's such a so good classic explains who everybody is, kind of what their powers are. You get the dynamic just by the look of it. It is like for me as like a comic book reader, I really appreciate stuff like this where it is very clear what is happening. If this was my first issue, I would kind of get the gist and know what's going on. It's a really, really good part, too. Oh, and also something I just learned. It is 141 is the first appearance of Destiny, Avalanche, Pyro, and Rachel Summers. Interesting. I did not know any of that. I would have thought I'm... Pyro was before this. Me but too. that's interesting. That that's probably why it's it's such a more expensive well, issue. It, I could have bought this book for like 30 bucks before. <laughs> I'm kicking myself right now. But it, it is so okay, that makes this book way more cooler. That makes sense now. Wow. But yeah, no, it's it's so good. Like, and you see them fight. And seeing them fight the X-Men, you realize, now that I'm realizing this is the first time they've ever seen each other, the first time these guys have ever worked together, really, in, in the comics. And, I mean, Pyro making a freaking fire claw to grab Colossus, and just, it's it's so good. And he's jumping around to Mystique being Mystique and trying to kill Xavier and Moira, because that's why she's there, to kill them and, and stop the mutant act from happening. Yeah, Mystique's powers. I mean, she's a constant threat to the X Men. Like she, like throughout all time, she is always a force to be reckoned with. And it's this stuff that explains exactly why. Is like, you know, something chaos happens. You think someone's here to rescue you? Nope, I'm about to murder you. <laughs> the the one part I don't like because she gasses them. The, like she gasses. Maybe she Moira. wasn't trying to kill them. Maybe she gasses she just... Moira and Xavier, and then she's like. I, I could kill you, but I won't for plot reasons. And it's just like, all right, okay. It's okay, little, so maybe it's just because it's she's just purple. trying to stop him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think just for plot reasons, she just doesn't kill them. But it's the fact that she addresses it. She's just like, I should kill you while I have the chance. But for the moment, I think you're more useful as a potential hostage. It's just so, it's so purple prose. It's classic Claremont. It's, it's, it's overwrought. It's great. I love it. And, and you want to talk about Destiny's costume and how creepy it is? I don't like it. It's, it's she's weird. Like a blue leotard with a cape and then a gold mask that covers her face. Cause, well, she, and she has like an alien head. Yeah, it's like an alien, like egg head. It's weird. It's really weird. And like it, it gets better over time, but it still keeps that gold mask over time. Like that is the, the constant for Destiny. It's 
it's very strange, and we didn't talk about it, but in the future part, the reason what they're also doing with the with the unconscious Kitty Kate Pride is they're trying to get to the Baxter building, which has become the headquarters of where the Sentinels are, and that's what they're doing in the future. They're trying to get there, since so now they have ability, they can use their mutant power to try to stop the Sentinels. Yeah, that's like their their headquarters, which is again, it's a little messed up. Is that they they <laughs> killed all the Fantastic Four, and and to think too, I mean, Franklin Richards isn't with them at this time, but like for him, part of that is going home. I mean, that that's kind of where he was born and grew up and he died before getting there, unfortunately. But yeah, that's it, it strikes home for him as well. Yeah, it's it's something that really I didn't catch as much of the first time. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good, though. And that's just something Marvel has done really well. I mean, just period is making the world feel real and lived in and that like characters in your Fantastic Four will touch in Daredevil, will touch in X-Men, will touch in Avengers and Captain America. Like it does really feel like a genuinely lived in world. And it, it's just little stuff. It, it's not directly addressed. It's just the headquarters happens to be where the Fantastic Four live. It's really cool. And and seeing the mutants fight, like they run into a couple of Sentinels again and you see Storm just being a freaking badass, which I'm not used to seeing Storm being a badass because I don't read X-Men comics. Oh my and she God. just electrocutes Sentinels, and I mean, it's it's cool to see. And like when they get into the Baxter building, they're sneaking in, and then it's jumping back and forth to Washington in 1980, showing them fight, like, you know, and it's just, it's so good. And like seeing the, and you know, and these people are seeing these mutants fight, which is not helping their case because it's showing, well, hey, these mutants are violent. We need, you know, it's helping like enforce the idea that we need these laws. Like you have the, the military show up and they say, we're just going to shoot. Who do we shoot at? Shoot at whoever. Yeah. It, it's, it a really, it's a Trash really good up. messaging that like, yeah, Eve, it, like that's the whole vibe of the X-Men. That's why this is so good. Is like the whole tagline for the X-Men is protecting a world that hates and fears them. It's like they will go in and protect everyone, even though the military is there and sees them exactly the same way as they see Mystique's crew. Is like they're still going to be out there trying to save everyone's butt because they're the best. It's 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 good. And then you see Pyro where they have guys that are trying. Some of the military trying to fight Pyro have flamethrowers, and he just turns their flame into a giant beast to attack them. <laughs> the way Pyro uses his powers here is so much cooler than how he is in X Men Two when he's in that movie. Like yeah. X Men Two, he just basically can shoot flamethrowers. Whatever. He's a kid. I get it. It's a movie. Things are different. But like. I hope if he ever shows up in a movie, he does this like fire dragon, like fire King Kong. Like he can like, oh, he just like makes these giant kaiju monsters that made out of flame. It's so cool. He almost kills Wolverine. Like that's another thing cool where he will remake a comic. Like he's like, oh, if you wouldn't have saved me, Storm, I wouldn't last him much longer. Yeah. So something in the, the early 80s and stuff is that Wolverine's healing factor was definitely a thing, but it was not as powerful as it is current comics oh God, or like now, the 90s you can, the only way to kill him is like to drop a nuke on him or something right at this point it's like he can regenerate from a single cell like that's how dumb it is like back in the <laughs> in the 80s and stuff <laughs> his so healing factor could like burn out like you could push it too far he would constantly be like in recovery it's he still felt mortal even though he could constantly come back, you know, and, and heal. But like in the nineties, they turned that up to 11 where he could get cut in half and be just fine. Like it's crazy. I mean, he gets hit in one of the comics that I've read on the show. Wolverine, old man, Logan, uh, comic 26. He gets hit by a freaking train. He's okay. Yeah. It's, he is really indestructible and it makes some good storytelling that like he can do some cool, exciting things. And I think that's why everybody loves Wolverine more than they love Cyclops. 
it in 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 when this it's, era when it came out, it was definitely not as strong of a healing factor as he would have later. It's cool to see to see him like not be invincible as I'm used to because I haven't read a lot of old comics. And you also yeah. have Nightcrawler fighting Mystique, who's disguised as Nightcrawler, which is kind of cool because this is the first time they see each other and. She, you know, he sees her like he's like, you look like me. And I think because isn't she his mother or something to do with his mother? Uh, Yeah. And they kind of hint at that in this story. Because she's um, asked your mother, Margot Zardos, who would know better than she. And yeah, exactly. I don't know anything about Nightcrawler. I don't know a whole lot about him. I read Giant Size X-Men 1, but that I don't really know, like, yeah, what's going so, on like, here. Mystique is his mother. She kind of like raised him off and on his father. I would not recommend reading the story where he figure out who his father is. I mean, it, I, it doesn't matter who his father is. It's, it's a Zazel. It's a dude who he looks also, just like him, but red. But Zazel wasn't around till late, way later, too, right? Yeah, that was a really, 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 really terrible 90s retcon. It was so bad. Okay. It's one of those retcons, and there's a few stories where, like, objectively, I will tell you, yes, this technically matters to the canon, but do not read it because it is bad. You are better off not knowing. Okay, I only know him because I've seen him mention other things, but yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not a. I'm not well known of him. He's. A, I mean, he was an X Men First Class. He was in that movie, and he was That's fine. Uh, but yeah, I the comic of it, you just don't need to know Nightcrawler's dad. Nightcrawler is a wonderful joy of a character, one of the all time greats. I love him every time he's on screen or on the page. Uh, but sometimes it's better just not to know. This yeah, next part, though, uh, right right after uh, Mystique and Nightcrawler are fighting is probably my favorite whole thing in this entire story. And I'll tell you why. So this next part, Wolverine can't tell the difference between fake and real Nightcrawler uh, because he's been burnt up and it like messes with his scent. <laughs> uh, and in Aurora, Storm tells him to back off because she's the leader of the X-Men. She gets to make those calls. And he just doesn't care. He doesn't respect her authority because she's just new into it. And they have like a little like tit for tat. It's so good because like, I know you, you mentioned a little bit ago that you weren't used to seeing Storm as a badass. Storm no. is the badass. She is the goddess like she is so good in like this early 80s, like this 80s run, this whole Chris Claremont run, which ran for like 17 years or something is so excellent. And it's because of like people like Storm, like this made Storm so good. And, and the crazy thing is, like, as this story progresses, nobody ever questions Storm ever as as the leader of the X-Men like she is because she proves herself time and time again. Yes, she has her powers, but there's a story that's not that far away in this run where Forge uses a gun and it saps her powers away. And there's a good chunk of like eight years of comics where, where Storm doesn't have her powers anymore. Wow. But cool. she's still the leader of the dang X-Men. That's how badass she is. I didn't know she, because like, I've, I've seen covers and I know she's on all the time, but I didn't know she didn't have her powers for a while. Yeah, uh, like she, she gets shot with like a ray gun that saps her powers. And then she, be, she like has a knife fight with the leader of the Morlocks and becomes the leader of the Morlocks. Like storm is the best. And the fact that the movies were like, yeah, Halle Berry is going to play her bums me out. I love storm storm is again, one of the all time greats, one of the all time favorites, but that's what makes the scene with her and Wolverine here where they're the Wolverine's not ex, you know, accepting her authority and calls like, because up until this point, Cyclops had been the leader, but one, three, storm, yeah, Storm is just the best. And so later on, when Scott tries to come back, you know, he and Storm battle battle over who gets to lead the X-Men and Storm kicks his ass. 
even though she doesn't have power. She powerless beats him in battle with his powers. That's how great Storm is. I, I just she's one of the best characters. This interaction in here is so good because later on, not a single person on the team ever questions Storm's ability to lead. It's great. I'll definitely have to read more. I really other... yeah. highly recommend just the Chris Claremont stuff in general. It is dense, like all of this is. Oh, yeah, like we only were still on issue two. <laughs> yeah, but it is, it's something that doesn't happen today. Like most creators stick on a book for a year, maybe two. Chris Claremont revitalized the X-Men for almost 20 years. Like he was on there from this like 80s, late 70s stuff until 91, 92. He really told one long story. In it. And like for the most part, it is all 10 out of 10. It's some good stuff from what I read. The few issues I read, which where I've been on the show. <laughs> yeah. So and like after go- after Storm and and Wolverine kind of have their little argument, your boy Avalanche comes in and like does a <laughs> tidal wave. It's so good. He he's really cool and he's really kicking myself that I didn't know that was his first appearance until now. So it, yeah, it's and, just... and they come up with really fun ways to defeat their enemies. Like Blob is immovable. So Colossus and Wolverine come up with this great idea to like use Wolverine as like a fulcrum and launch the blob up into the air because they can move the ground beneath the blob. It's so funny. They punch him in the air until Avalanche. That's they take out Avalanche. They make a rainstorm to stop Pyro. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's cool. Yeah. It's all them working together. Uh, Nightcrawler bops uh, Mystique. She's not much of a fighter. Is she really? I mean, she, she's pretty good at fighting. I mean, I, I wouldn't like she could kick my butt for sure. But, you know, I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't say she's like an expert hand to hand fighter like a like an Iron Fist would be. Yeah, I like Iron Fist a lot. He's pretty good in the comics. Uh, I would not go to bat for the, the Netflix series. No, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of his early of his early comics. Yeah, him and Luke Cage. Uh, I, I liked a lot of their interactions. I, I hope they kind of revitalize those characters and those stories. I'm a big fan of Iron Fist. And then, then he jumps back to 2013, and when you, you see Wolverine, Colossus, and Storm arrive at the top of the Baxter building to take out the Sentinels, and you see a Sentinel at a computer, like, oh, we got here, and they're, he's going to do the, the fastball special where Colossus throws him, and he throws him, and midway, the Sentinel turns around, shows out, yeah, we were affecting you this whole time, and just vaporizes him. I love that. And again, it, it's it's the cover of the comic is like you get exactly that Wait, where he is disintegrated. So good. Like it, they kill him and then they kill Storm by throwing a spear through her. And you just see Colossus just go like kind of bash it and throw it out the window. And he's just like, you know, I mean, he just saw his friends die in front of him. And you see him crying and you see Rachel Summer, who's still holding Kate Pride, hiding down below. She can feel it all. Like yeah, she's psychic. She's like, she can feel it. all of her friends and family dying. Oh, it's so good. And then you, and then it jumps back to, to 1980 where you have Kitty pride and Destiny's about to kill Robert, Robert Kelly, right? Yeah. Senator, Robert, yeah Kelly. Senator Robert Kelly, which is what's going to lead to the whole, the whole problem that happened, but they don't know it because they're trying to stop, you know, the mutant act from happening. And she has a crossbow for some reason. And right when she's about that to, is, that, threw me for a loop is that she has a freaking crossbow not a gun <laughs> yeah but the the bolt looks more like a missile than it does a crossbow a crossbow definitely bolt, yeah and she like phases through her and that messes up destiny completely because it just screws up her i think it's it screws up her precog ability plus the fact that kate pride is not kitty pride because it's from yeah the, so, so, from the something future. that's been like a running story thing is that because kate pride is like a time anomaly that destiny the precog who can see everything in the future can't really get a read on kitty because it's the the time thing so when she phases through destiny 
you know, X-Men science here. It, it jumbles <laughs> her brain for a second and it makes her miss. I love X-Men science, though, so it's OK. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff for you just to be like, oh, all right. You know, you just accept it for the story and move on. You just go comic books. <laughs> That's a hundred percent that that makes your reading experience way more enjoyable. And so she says Robert Kelly, the Xavier shows up and yeah, like you see, it makes that point where they don't really understand Xavier, Mormon and Tiger are mutants. Like otherwise Robert Kelly would not be talking to them. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, destiny and they all get all the, the brotherhood get captured except for mystique. And then it shows Kitty Pride is on the plane who now is Kitty, who is Kitty pride again and doesn't know what happened. Yeah. Like how, you know, where am I? Well, I feel terrible. And they start, I think they talk about what happened and they make a comment here. Like, Oh, does that mean we change the future? And you know, they did. You don't find out till way later. But I because and then the last page is you can probably speak a little more to it than I can is a pretty much like a, a kicker for the next what's coming. The next story arc. Yeah. So the like the epilogue in general is the government meeting with Sebastian Shaw, who is uh, played by Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon in the movie <laughs> and uh, the leader of the Hellfire Club. And he is he is a mutant. But again, none of these folks know that. And they introduce uh, Henry Peter Gyrick, who is a constant villain from the 80s. And basically to develop the Sentinel program in secret. And so, yeah, uh, all these evil government guys want to kill all the mutants, yet they are working with Sebastian Shaw, who is a mutant, but they just don't know it yet. I think that's really cool because they're like, you know, uh, we hate these mutants and he is a mutant. That's the thing. It's like uh, all these people who are so like bigoted are so dumb because like the anybody can be a mutant and then nothing changes them. Yeah, maybe some have wings and stuff, but like. That's what makes this like metaphor so good and like just it applies to current day like discrimination and bigotry. It's just it's so excellent. I, I, I really like that. <laughs> I really yeah. like seeing Sebastian Shaw and seeing them working with him and they have no idea what they're doing. And it, and you're exactly right. It sets up future stories. I mean, right right after this, I mean, they there's like the brood saga where it's basically the movie Aliens and just so much stuff happens. When does the brood saga start? It's it's in the volume three of the omnibus that I have. So it's like another 20 issues, I want to say, from where we are now. OK, do you know how many issues it is? Uh, I can tell you. OK, so something else I want to talk about with Days of Future Past in general is like so modern comics are more, you know, five to six issues to tell a full story. This is a two issuer and it's a dense two issues. It's so yeah. perfectly paced. So just judging by the covers of this i'm gonna say the brood saga is about uncanny x-men 162 to about 167 that seems about right just from these covers okay but yeah the brood saga is is another excellent story that it just it's a complete genre shift it's like science fiction it's so well done probably mm, top 10 stories for me okay you can uh we'll we'll be talking about it soon perfect because I'm, yeah, you're right, 161 to 167. Oh, yeah, we're definitely talking about that. Because I, I have a thing for the brood, so that's that will happen in the future. Yeah. Okay. That's and then, the future past, man. It's it's one of the all-time greats for a reason. So that wraps up the comment, but I do want to talk briefly. There is a, when the, in 2018, they did a Secret Wars event, which where they rewrote all the freaking universe, combined all the universes, destroyed them. Maybe, no, it wasn't 2018, was it? It got to be a little earlier than that. I think it was 2016. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think 2016 is right. Let me get my math correct. And because I, I had read read that. So for this, I went back and I'm like, I'm going to read it was 2015, 2016. So I was like, I'm going to read the years of future past. I got four issues in and I just couldn't do it because it's a, it, what they did is in Secret Wars. They took a lot of different events that they had written throughout the years, like famous stories, and they threw them all in this battle world where doom is God. And 
It would have been cool for a continuation in that world, but it's Wolverine's alive, everybody's alive, and I just it irritated me, and it's just it's not good. And Kitty Pride has two kids, and one's called Chrissy, one's called I don't remember what the hell his name is, and it's just it's not good. It's it's most of the Secret Wars crossovers from that time are trash. A lot of them were. I mean, I, I can recommend maybe a handful, but I none. I mean, just go read X Men ninety two. It's just way better. Uh, that's the that's the only one, and that's because I think all the nostalgia you have for it too. A hundred percent. I would recommend the Inferno storyline, but Inferno is also the greatest X Men crossover of all time. Never read uh, it. Oh my god, it's so good. My come on, it's oh, we're, uh, we're gonna change it's, that. At the rate it's like we're late. Going. It's late eighties stuff, but like. It, it come like the lead into Inferno is about, I don't know, five to six years worth of comics. It's so well done and so well executed. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, they never really capture the high of Days of Future Past by going back to this world. There's a few like crossovers here and there. But yeah, Years of Future There's, Past is not a success. The only real sequel is Years of, years of Future Present, which we, will talk, which we almost talked about in this episode, which I'm glad we didn't because we'd be here for another hour and a half. And that we'll talk about at some other point. So. There, there is a uh, I know we talked about Excalibur for a brief moment, but there's an annual where Rachel Summers and Kitty Pryde are like out on the town or something. And Rachel sees her Franklin Richards in like adult, it, like walking around. And so she goes to find him. But it ends up being its mastermind who can like manipulate, you know, reality. And so it's just a vision. But it like it touches briefly on some of the stuff with the uh, Days of Future Past stuff with Franklin and a little bit of their relationship. But again, okay. and it doesn't touch the highs of this story. It's just it's a perfect two two issue thing, man. OK, it really is. And there's also the Days of Future Past and the X-Men animated series, which I tried watching both two parts for this episode and I couldn't finish it. What I will say it does <laughs> well is that it, it, it does the attack on the Capitol very well with Mystique and trying to, to get the villains. And it, instead of uh, Katie Pride going back in time, the animated series has Bishop going back in time. And, the, and I thought that was well done only for the sake because of when that show was coming out, the current comics had Bishop back in time. Like oh, his, that's like, why they did it then. So it's it, like that, that, show isn't perfect but what it does is it really captures what was going on in the comics at the time and kind of redoing these stories that so i makes really sense. like that. it's it's not bad i mean it's just it's just generally rough because it's a kid's show from the 90s like is this is his first appearance when he goes back in time yeah it's a story and it's collected in a, a thing called bishop's crossing it, and that's actually a much better story than I thought. Like a lot of the nineties get a really bad rap for bad stories. And there is a lot of really crappy stories. Uh, but the Bishop story where he's introduced is actually pretty great. Okay. I know of it. I've never read it. I, yeah. I, I own the comic, but I've never read it. Okay. And then in the days of future past movie, which is kind of based on this comic, but not really. Yeah, it's vaguely based. It's, it's Wolverine really, going I, back instead. Mystique's role is completely different. It's They're trying to kill Peter Trask and not. I didn't watch it for this because I didn't have time, and I'm going to do a full episode at some point about that amazing movie. I watched I watched it last night and I I like it's the best X-Men movie, but I it's probably top three all time comic book movies. It is it is excellent. It does not really adapt the comic all that much. It's just kind of briefly based on it. And I think that's fine. It, it uses that to pretty great success, I think. And it also has Bishop in there, too, which that was and really again, it made more sense now when he had, I never realized he has the M above his eye because he's a mutant and he's engraved. And yep. that made more sense now after reading this book for the again. 
Yeah, it's a uh, I yeah the bishop story over time is is really really well. Even done. though he comes from a different future, not the days of future past. He comes from a completely right. different future. Yep. <laughs> but then again, the X Men anime series does some weird things like where Cable is from a, a whole different character and not even called yeah, Cable. At Cable first. is not the same character at all. It's really really weird. I don't get it, but yeah. Oh, that's for another time. And also in the Days of Future Past X-Men cartoon, they mentioned that he uh, Mystique is working for Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah, she at that time, she's she's working for Apocalypse in the show. And the show actually does a pretty good job about like continuing storylines from episode to episode. And it actually kind of flows pretty OK. Uh, the quality <laughs> just just go into it with the expectation that it's not like super good and you'll have a great time. It, it's it's like the like the Star Wars Clone Wars show. You just gotta oh, go you oh. gotta go in and enjoy it for what it is. That show is amazing. That show is about eighty percent terrible and twenty percent the best Star Wars that ever no, was. The first the first season is garbage. Once you get past that, it is gold. Mike, if, you, if you ever want to dissect that show, I am here to crush your <sighs> dreams because that show is garbanzo beans. I love all the clone. <laughs> I love the cloners once you get past the first season, and I love like everywhere that goes. But that's... dude, there's like a there's an episode in like season five where someone legitimately shouts, "Long live the banks!" Ugh. it's a kids show though. Like again, you just gotta accept it for what it is. But there's some good stuff in there. I'm here What's to crush your dreams just now. I I'm here on this podcast to crush your dreams <laughs> and to deliver good X Men content to you. Oh, and there will be more X-Men because we might be talking about that brute saga here. I've always wanted to read it. Now I know where it is. I It's so good. Like there's some like great stories. I mean, like really starting from here, like chronologically, there's great stories. The only one that we've already surpassed is the Dark Phoenix saga. But like you got Brood Saga, you got the Mutant Massacre, uh, Fall of the Mutants, Inferno. Fall like, I really want to do because that is the first apocalypse. Uh, cross apocalypse story, like yeah. actual story. And I yep. I love that villain. So I really need to read that. Yeah, they uh, are just reprinting that trade that has that story in it. I, yeah, like there, there's so much good X-Men over across like the timeline of comics. Like there's really not bad stuff until the late 90s. <laughs> oh, I think we should get we should I think we should go to shelf stacker box and I'll go first. I think it's obvious for both of us, but I'll, I'll go first. I'm going to put this on the shelf. I really enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the story a lot more than I read it six years ago like it, it hit me more it was way better i understood all the where they were going with it and it was just so well done and it still holds up for 1980 only two issues but they're very two very good issues that you should definitely read and i'm very glad that we took that we took the time out to read it so i'm putting it on the shelf and i'm happy we read it yeah i mean this is this is the reason i bought the giant like omnibus of the the x-men stuff this is going right on my shelf uh, if I had these issues, I'd frame them and put them up on the wall. I Me too. adore this series. Like it's it's a it's it's my dream story where it's all killer, no filler. Like it is just <laughs> it is all good because like a story if this were made today would be six to twelve issues, but this is yes. this is a two issue and it just sticks with all the good stuff. I am. I'm so enthralled by it. I can definitely see why, you know, over the next 40 years, 50 years that the story is referenced time and time again. Uh, I, I love it. You know, if you couldn't tell already, I, I love this story. Cause it's good. So if you haven't read it, even though we spoiled it, go check it out. doesn't matter. Like, so why, why are you it. still listening to this? If you haven't freaking read this story yet? Yeah. Some people do just because like, like for me, you'll never get around to something. So you just take a look at it anyway. Yeah, I could see that. I would rather listen to a, like, podcast that describes the clone wars tv show as opposed to watching all nine seasons of that show i can't help you with that to break your heart yet again i'm not going down that road (laughs) 
<laughs> I have thought about making shows where I'm like, we could cover an entire series and just talk about that series. But I'm like, yeah, I need to get paid. Then like there needs to be a living in it. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Even just the MCU 23 episodes. And I've recorded 21 of the 23 at the time of this recording. And it's just like, fuck this is a lot. So yeah, it's not happening unless people are paying me. That's that's me. Totally get it. Something. Hey, if, I, if this if it ever takes off and I'm able to make a living off it, I will cover series. Episode by episode, but not anytime soon. <laughs> All right, so that about wraps up this episode. And Jake, you, where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me if you ever need legal assistance in, in specifically North Carolina. You can find <laughs> me, and I will represent you in a court of law. Uh, if you want to see me on the internet, uh, really just go to youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Uh, I have a lot of like Let's Play shows up there. Uh, lots of stuff going up every day. Uh, I'm currently playing The God of War. I think that'll be switching to Horizon Zero Dawn soon, and then maybe the new Ratchet and Clank game. And you will see a link in the show notes to his YouTube channel. Sweet. And I want to give a shout out to uh, our friend of the show, Bill Tucker, co-host of the show on the MCU. His show, A Gamer Looks to 40s podcast, is live, so definitely go check that out. You will see a link in the show notes to his channel. Also, if you want to support the show and vote in whatever our monthly poll is at this time, because I don't know, because I don't know when this is going to be released exactly. So we do a monthly poll every every month on our Patreon. Just for as low as a dollar, you can help us out and jump on there. And throw us a dollar and help us out. You know, and vote in the poll. So definitely, so that will be up there. So definitely go take a look at that. And I want to give a shout out to our awesome intro and outro, courtesy of Bobby, a.k.a. Mike Tony from ZB Bite the Bullet. Song to Cool Kids Squad. You'll see a link in the show notes to his YouTube channel. Definitely go check him out. And if you enjoyed our show, definitely go look at all our other episodes. We have covered games, movies, comics. We do all sorts of stuff on this show. So definitely go look at all those. And if you need more of an X-Men fix, we have done a few X-Men episodes over the over the time. Not enough, in my opinion, but we have done a couple. And we have done X-Men Destiny, also with Jake, episode 124. X-Men God Loves Man Kills, the comic, 21. X-Men vs. Arcade, comic 7, where we talk about the a few X-Men from this run where they fight Arcade. For some reason, because I really like Arcade, and we didn't have Because Arcade's it. the best. He's not, but I really like him. <laughs> <laughs> He's terrible. He's a terrible villain, but for some reason, both me and my old co-host at the time were both really into him, so we recorded an episode about it. So it's there, so definitely go check that out. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. We post all the channel, all the episodes on YouTube. They're just episode. There is no video, because I don't do video yet at the time. So let me go check that out, and I think that's all that I need to say tonight. So we will see you guys all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.